Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Okay, ready to start Chapter 7. <coughs> I think. So, interesting thing has happened. Chapter 6, we were at the Feast of Passover. That's how that began, remember? And at that point we identified that's now the second of third Passovers. So it wasn't two full calendar years. Essentially that's probably about 15 months, not 24 months, but we're counting Passovers because we know the third Passover is when the arrest, the trial, crucifixion, resurrection, the whole nine yards happens, right? So. We're getting close. So we're now within, we ended chapter 6 within exactly the last year of Jesus' life. But wait. Chapter 7 identifies as, verse 2, we are now at the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is six months after the Feast of Passover. <laughs> so we've just, we've lost six whole months. So now we're in the last six months of Jesus' life. Wow. So apparently nothing not really noteworthy. And John does that. I mean, it's, it's incredibly selective in what he's picking to, to put in here. Or what the Spirit is telling him, this is what you need to put in here. So again, John comes from a completely different standard here of, of information shared. The, the other three gospel writers want to give a lot of stories and all that type of thing and kind of follow a, a chronology. John is just jumping forward a good bit. And as we will see then, condenses everything into the last, the last 24 hours. So we're going to spend like four chapters in at the Last Supper. That's a fifth of the book for one night. <laughs> right? So he's, he's moving ahead and basically saying this is incredibly important stuff. And what you will find then is, and hopefully you've discovered so far, is that John has almost all unique stories. You read the other three Gospels and, okay, yeah, I remember reading that and yeah, the parable of the sower. Um, John doesn't do that. His stories are unique. There's almost no replication of what John has to what the other three Gospels have. So you've got you to put it all together now to get this full and complete life from the Gospels that, that God wants us to know. Hey. <coughs> so, 7-1, John's going to keep hitting us over the head with this. The important theme of establishing Jesus as God continues. And so, it says that Jesus knows that they're trying to kill him, so he deliberately is avoiding people and areas. Now, that means that Jesus is God. If only God could know that. So, like I say, it just in, 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 in clear ways and in subtle ways, John, virtually every verse is saying to us, Jesus is God, Jesus is God, Jesus is God. In other words, Jesus is God. So you, you can't study this and not get that. That's the point. <clears throat> and so he's just using all these different ways to prove to us that Jesus is God. So knowing that with this festival, and it was, it is Jewish law that for the three festivals, the major festivals of the year, they had six festivals throughout the course of the year, but the three major ones, every Jewish man, and therefore his family, must go to Jerusalem. That's pretty much state law. So now we're at the next one, and everybody's going to Jerusalem, to Judea. But Jesus, knowing that they're plotting to kill him, 
decides, no, I'm going to stay up north in Galilee. Now, by the time you get to verse 3, then we add a twist to it. Because now <coughs> we have another direct statement in Scripture establishing that Mary had more children. Which is an incredible controversy between Protestants and the Roman Catholic Church because the Roman Catholic Church maintained that Mary remember what it says Mary was a virgin when the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in her the Roman Catholic Church maintained she remained a perpetual virgin she's that holy not what I would call a good marriage. <laughs> just, yeah, just saying. And possibly the reason why Joseph died young. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, to believe that, okay, that theologically, you could buy that. Except there's a half a dozen places in the Bible that clearly says Mary and Jesus' brothers and sisters show up. In this case, it's just the brothers. In Matthew, there's a couple of accounts. In the, in the other Gospels, there's several other accounts where Mary and the other, other kids show up. And it always lists the boys' names, since boys are important and girls aren't. And uh, as I recall, there's six other brothers, including James and Jude, who have writings for us in the back of our Bibles. Letters. Jude is a very short letter, but a really powerful letter. Um, so, but at this point, during the life of Jesus, obviously the brothers do not believe in Jesus. But here they are, in Galilee, back home. They're in, in the Nazareth region. <coughs> so, they just happen to bump into each other. And the boys, are, these other brothers are saying, well, we're going to Jerusalem to the festival. Aren't you going? And Jesus says, no. <coughs> so the brothers try to push Jesus to go because, look, it says what, what, their, what their goal is, what their motive is. They want to push Jesus to Jerusalem and have the same mentality as Judas. We've got a, we, we know Jesus can do these miracles. We know he has incredible power. But for some reason, he's holding back. So we've got to push him into a situation that he, he will have to use incredible power. So they're trying to do everything they can to convince Jesus to go to Jerusalem so that he'll be arrested and all of that to you know, push the timetable ahead. And that's exactly what, what Judas was trying to do. Have him arrested. He'll fight his way out. He'll destroy the Romans and we'll be free. Makes a lot of sense. So these brothers are coming from the, the, the same angle, the same belief. They believe that Jesus is capable of great miracles, but they do not believe Jesus is the Christ. They're looking at a very practical, physical level. And so they want Jesus to go to Jerusalem because they're saying, all right, you've been around for a while now, you've been doing all this stuff, it's time to show your hand. So go to Jerusalem, dazzle them with a bunch of miracles, yeah, blow some Romans up, and we'll, we'll be really, really in good shape here. <clears throat> Again, proving the point that miracles do not lead to faith. In fact, miracles will likely do the exact opposite. And that's where these brothers are at. So out of the six boys, at least two of them eventually do come around. That's pretty cool. Uh, the others, we, we really don't have a whole lot of <coughs> evidence about. So the point is, the brothers saw the miracles, but they don't believe. By the time you get to verse 10... After he tells the brothers, go ahead and go, well, Jesus decides he's going to go anyway. Now, again, you know, we talked a week or two ago about, about timing. And God's timing might be a difference of a minute 
Might be the difference of an hour, might be the difference of a day, a week, a month, a year, or 50 years. But there's the, the, the time when this has to happen. If you go back to uh, the, the first miracle, Mary comes to Jesus and pulls him aside and whispers in his ear and says, hey, we're, we're running out of wine here. You can do something about that. Fix this. What does he say? It's not time. Well, 15 minutes later, he does it. <laughs> right? So I mean, it's just these kind of things. So when the brothers are saying, let's go, it wasn't the right time. But now Jesus goes. <clears throat> and, and again, even though he's here to wipe out the Jewish law, he continues to support the Jewish law. The core principles of worship. Not all the food laws and all the other nonsense. He breaks those with great delight. But the important Jewish law he still maintains and honors. So since it's his duty to go to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival, he goes. But he does so in secret. <coughs> Verse 11. And again, it says earlier that Jesus knows this, that the, the guards have been alerted to be looking for Jesus. I don't know, they pass Polaroids around of them, or I don't know how they you know, figured out who. They all look the same to me, right? They all have beards. and <laughs> you know, How do you distinguish them? But anyway, you know, they're told to look for this guy. I don't know if it's you know, wanted posters in the post office or what, but you know, find this guy. So they're looking for him. But Jesus is able to stay anonymous for for a while until he's ready, till the time is right for him to pretty much announce that, that, that he is there. So they're looking for Jesus, can't find him. Verses 12 and 13 uh, is a commentary of the crowd. And crowds are funny and crowds are fickle. So as you know, the, the comments are made, made from the crowd, the crowd can't decide who he is. And we're going to see further evidence of this. Uh, and the crowd changes their mind about every other minute. So some say Jesus is a good man, while others say he deceives the people. So there's no uniformity among anyone. So for Jesus to be misinterpreted in such a way, to be misunderstood in such a way, I hope you will remember that the next time you are misunderstood and hurt by somebody assuming something you did or said or whatever that you didn't. It happens to Jesus too. <coughs> Verse 14. Finally, Jesus comes out of hiding and begins to publicly teach. And the people are amazed at how an uneducated man can know so much about God. So again, yeah, we're hearing this incredible stuff. Jesus talk about, about spiritual things. Look what a crowd does. Immediately revert back to the physical. The crowd has three questions. Where did Jesus go to school? Where is Jesus from? And where is Jesus going? Because Jesus is talking about he's going somewhere. So they have three questions. Let's take a look at the answers. Where did Jesus go to school? Well, Jesus got his education in heaven. He was homeschooled. Yeah, homeschooled. <laughs> All right, the second question. Where is Jesus from? Want to take a while guess what that answer is? Heaven. The answer to the third question. Where is Jesus going? Heaven. You see? So Jesus is talking like this. They're trying to bring him down to here. And they're, they're trying to piece this together. And it just it's not making any sense to them. And the crowd is starting. Now, you know, they were interested. They were curious early on. But we're going to see very quickly the crowd is going to spin and turn and begin to, you know, ready to attack Jesus and ready to call the guards in to, to have him arrested. Because verse 16, the fun starts here. Jesus declares that, that there are power in his words because he's not speaking for himself. He's simply sharing the truth of God. Then he explains that you should be able to tell who was, who was preaching and teaching the truth 
or simply trying to make themselves look good. Have you been able to make determinations such as that with any preacher, any Sunday school teacher, any televangelist? Can you, can you not tell when they are promoting themselves or are promoting God? I mean, a lot of the televangelists over the years, you know, when you start digging down a little bit, it was clearly revealed they're only in it for themselves and essentially for the money. So that's what Jesus is saying. This, this should be readily apparent. Who is speaking to you the truth and who is truly trying to deceive you for their own gain. Then Jesus accuses the crowd of trying to kill him. <coughs> so what we're dealing with here is a really big issue. That the crowd and the Pharisees cannot wrap their minds around. The question is, by whose authority can Jesus teach? See, that's what the crowd is trying to determine. You're uneducated, and all rabbis have to go to school. They have authority because they went to school. So, where did you go to school, Jesus? If you tell us that, we'll be satisfied. Where are you from? What's, what, what's, what's your family history? That adds authority to what you're saying. But Jesus keeps coming back, heaven, heaven, heaven. <laughs> right? And they can't get it. They can't understand that Jesus is God, sent from God, and has the full authority of God. They're trying to bring him down to a human level. So Jesus makes clear that he has the authority of God because he is from heaven and commissioned by the Father. So Jesus does have the authority properly conferred upon him. It's just not in the way that the Pharisees are used to seeing it. They want you to have the sheepskin from some prestigious college. And Jesus said, I want to heaven you. <coughs> I just made that one yeah. <laughs> We work well together. <laughs> now, when the crowd hears that, this is where they go nuts. Verse 20. Look how they respond. You are demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? You whack job. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so they literally are not comprehending the words, let alone the meaning. Verse 24. Jesus speaking. Stop judging on mere appearances and make a right judgment. So he's saying that <coughs> you're looking for the credentials. You're looking for the family history. You're looking for you know these worldly physical things that seem to give credibility instead of looking into the heart of the person that you're, you're, you're judging. The crowd doesn't like that. Verse 27. They go into an uproar. And they declare that no one knows where the Christ comes from. But gee, Jesus, we know you come from Galilee. <laughs> so we'll come back to this in a minute, because the crowd is really mixed up here. Verse 28. Jesus declares that the issue is not where he comes from, but rather who sent him. Do you see the difference? So it's like a messenger. The messenger goes with the seal of the owner, of the king or whoever. Who sent you? Right here is proof of who sent me. So it doesn't matter where I came from. It matters who sent me. <coughs> In verse 29, Jesus identifies clearly that God is the one who has sent him. Now, verse 30, realizing that Jesus is the one who the authorities want to arrest, they try to hold Jesus now until the authorities arrive. See, we don't like your message, so we're just going to have you arrested, thrown in jail, and then we never have to hear from you again. But somehow it doesn't work. No one's able to touch Jesus. 
Because the important word there, they try to do it. But they can't. Now how that happens, I don't know. If Jesus becomes invisible, just walks through the crowd, if, if, if their eyes are somehow kept from seeing Jesus anymore or anything, but yeah, they just, people are just looking around, where'd he go? <laughs> He's gone. <coughs> but he remains in town. So now, 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 now the crowd has heard Jesus speak more, seemingly angry, in verse 31, a great deal of confusion among the crowd. Not everybody's saying the same thing. It says many people put their faith in Jesus, but they still don't understand that he is the Christ. Because look what they say in verse 31. When the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? So they still don't see Jesus as the Son of God, right? They simply see him as that dangerous miracle worker. <coughs> so Jesus apparently moves to another location, verse 32. And the Pharisees hear the crowd talking, and they know that when they see a, a mob starting, <laughs> that something's happening, so... They realize that it's Jesus who has stirred up all this, so they send the guards in to arrest Jesus. <clears throat> Verses 33 and 34, Jesus declares that he'll be leaving soon and going to a place that the Pharisees cannot follow. Now that's in 33 and 34. But then again in 36, it's basically stated again. It's a very important verse. Jesus tells the Pharisees where he is going, they cannot go. Now, obviously, Jesus is saying that he's going to heaven. Now, your big theological question of the day, and I do want to see sweat forming on your brow. Jesus says that it's impossible for the Pharisees to get to heaven. Why is it impossible for the Pharisees to get to heaven? Because of their lack of belief in Jesus as the Son of God. Okay, going back to what Jesus declared earlier, when the crowd asked him, what do we have to do? Believe in me as the Son of God. Period. Okay? So, they're not believing, but now I want to push you a little further, and this is where the sweat beads are going to start forming, is, all right, they're, they're not believing today, but they could believe tomorrow. We're next week. But Jesus says it's impossible for them. Why? Take it to the next level now. Why is it impossible for them? When everybody has a second chance, when everybody has the opportunity, why is it impossible for Pharisees? <coughs> They're committing the unforgivable sin. Denying of? the Holy Spirit. They're denying. They're denying. Them. Okay. Correct. But again, if I deny the Holy Spirit today, I can accept the Holy Spirit message tomorrow. So Jesus is saying it's impossible for them, ever. That's the big why question. You're on the right track. You're just not connecting the dots yet. Precisely. In fact, it says everything's possible with God. Mm -hmm. Right? So, what you're saying is that Jesus knows that they will never stop denying the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. You see? That's the important issue. Mm -hmm. Is that everybody on earth has a chance until either you take your last breath or Jesus returns. Everybody. I mean everybody. Hitler had that option. I want to give it to him, but this is God, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it's a universal. So, so there, there again, Jesus, is, Jesus proving Jesus is God because He knew what they. There were, it is. What they were. 
Yeah. Okay. That's the, the final step of what Betty was saying. Right? So since he's God, he knows that they are not going to change their mind. So that's so based on you've got to believe in Jesus, Jesus knows that they will never come to believe in me. But technically, everybody has the chance. Everybody has the same opportunity. The only question is, will you accept it or not? But Jesus knows these guys, and they will not change. Let's face it, they came around and killed them, so I mean, it's pretty, pretty significant there. Good, Judy. Unforgivable. Isn't that unforgivable? The unforgivable sin. Is there ever forgiveness for that if it's unforgivable? No. Because that's, and that again is the final state of the person. And why the thief on the cross in the last 15 minutes can get it, why it is conceivably possible for any person on earth to truly have a deathbed conversion, um, you don't know until you take the last breath or until Jesus returns. But at that precise moment, that is where the, the unforgivable starts. So you've had all these chances. Um, that's the, the, the point of the story with the, uh, the, the poor guy named Lazarus under the table of the rich guy. Whenever give them any food or anything, they both die. That's what, that's what is said from heaven is, you had every opportunity to, to accept this. And you refused to do it. So now I'm taking over and... You spend eternity in hell, and this, this poor guy now gets to rest on Abraham's bosom. <coughs> so, yeah. So, so up to the moment the rich man died, <coughs> yes. his options were still open. That's right. But as soon as he took his last breath, right. there's, no, there's no reprieve then. Right. Going back to chapter 6. Yes. Uh, in verse 44, it says, uh, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And then over later, it says, unless the Father has enabled him. Is that referring to the Spirit being in us and urging us towards that? Right. And at that point, we... Again, further evidence of the universality of the, of the Holy Spirit in everyone. So that, that drawing is universal with every person on earth, whether you've ever heard the name of Jesus or not, therefore, the decision now is ours. So if you reject that, then that's unforgivable sin. If you accept that, that's salvation. Yes. Okay. Nice connection. Does that make sense? I can say that's a, that's a critical verse because, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that your, your head spun around when it's, Jesus says this is impossible because everything's possible with God. I mean, how many times does it say that in Scripture? <laughs> There's nothing impossible for God. But here he's saying it's impossible for these guys because they are, they are committed to denying the Holy Spirit. They're committed to siding with Satan. That's going to become ever so clear here by the end of this chapter. Um, Jesus, in fact, points the finger at them and says, you're, you're children of the devil. That's why you can't you can't, you can't hear my words and understand them because you've been so programmed by the devil to, to not hear. But that's your choice. You, you, you allowed that to happen. <coughs> Verse 37. So the festival is a seven-day event. So on the last day of the festival, Jesus makes a bold move and stands to address the crowd. Now this is in the actual... Well, let me tell you about the Feast of Tabernacles. The purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles was to thank God for water. And it goes all the way back to Moses leading the uh, Israelites out of Egypt, uh, got through the, the parted sea, and... Everybody makes it safely. Pharaoh's army is wiped out. Everybody goes, shoo. And then, two, three, four, Wah! they start whining and complaining and arguing and, you know, like 
two, two little monsters in the back seat. He's touching me. <laughs> He's looking at me. And they start complaining. We, we don't have any water. We're thirsty. <laughs> so Moses said, oh, shut up. So he took, takes a staff, smashes it into the rock, and all this water comes gushing out. So God provides. You need water, understand. But they'd asked nicely. It would have been a whole lot better <laughs> rather than whining and complaining and extorting. So they got water. So this is a, a festival to thank God for water. And it's yeah, at the appropriate time in the, in the harvest season. You know, when, the, when the crops need to grow and everything. So you're, you know, the, the, the seven-day prayers then are for God to send, send the rain so that our crops will grow and all of that type of thing. So it's a water festival. <coughs> so Jesus now, in this context, refers to himself as living water. Did the same thing with the woman at the well, too, remember? She's on a mission to get water. See how he's making the connection? It's genius. Hungry people, you talk to them about living bread. <laughs> Thirsty people, you talk about living water. By the end of the chapter, he's going to say, oh, by the way, the other thing you need is light. The end of the ceremony is a lighting ceremony. The Festival of Tabernacles. And then he says, I am the light of the world. So he, he's, he, but he does that in the midst of this, this worship environment with thousands and millions of people present. Basically just stands up and starts making these, these, these proclamations. <coughs> so Moses strikes the, the rock and water comes gushing out. Now fast forward to the crucifixion. Soldier gets a spear and stabbed Jesus in, in the side <laughs> under the ribcage. Do you remember what it says came out? Water. Blood and water. <coughs> right? Came bursting out of him. Same, same concept. Life-giving. Whole nine yards there. So on the last day of the festival, what they have done the first six days... The, 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 well, there's a procession from, I can't remember the exact location, but you know, you're going from point A down to get water to take it back up to point A. So you know, the, the high priest and all the high muckety-mucks and then the crowd follows and, oh, water, oh, and they do all their dancing and all that, and then they carry it back up. So they do that one time a day for the first six days. The seventh day, they do it seven times. So that's what's happening. And this procession back and forth carrying this, and it's not, you know, a couple yards, it's like half a mile from point A to point B. They make this procession back and forth, back and forth. So in the midst of all this crowd moving and all this stuff happening, this is what this is where Jesus is saying what he's saying. <coughs> and Jesus declares that anyone who comes to him and believes in him will never be thirsty. Now again, stated in the midst of a, 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 a celebration of water. Now, Jesus is in plain view, and keep in mind from early on that the temple guards were alerted when this Jesus appears arrest him. They're not arresting him yet, <laughs> right? <coughs> Verse 39. Again, Jesus is going to use the image of living water. And here, he, had, he specifies that he's speaking directly of the Holy Spirit. So you see how plain he's making this. He's, he's speaking in such a way that he understands the questions they will have, and so he's giving the answers even before they ask. So Jesus speaks in the present tense and says, verse 39, anyone who comes to me, streams of living water will flow from within him. And at the end of the sentence, it says that the Holy Spirit has not yet been given. You caught that, did you? <laughs> right? So this is another one of those confusing spots. We're going to come across at least two of them when we get to the Last Supper. That you know, translating from the original language to English doesn't always work well. And we have a theological conundrum here. 
because in if you just were to pull that verse out, it makes it sound like there, there will come a day when you will get the Holy Spirit. But not yet. But then you have to take into account the dozens and dozens and dozens of passages, including Genesis 1, 1, where it says that it's the Holy Spirit moving across the dark waters of chaos. Specifically of the Trinity, it's the Holy Spirit doing the work of creation. So the Holy Spirit has always been... So how can you give something that you already have? <laughs> See, that's that's the the language difficulty, and you know it's a, it's a big controversy and really derails a lot of a lot of Christians, because you know, there's a lot of Christians who believe that you get the Holy Spirit when you accept Jesus. That actually makes sense. But again, how do you account for the fact that what's the Holy Spirit been doing otherwise? My, my big question is, what then happens to all the people who never had a chance to accept Jesus? Now, I'm not just talking today, but I'm talking a thousand years ago when most of the earth had never heard the name of Jesus yet. So we're talking Billions and billions and billions of people have lived since Jesus that had never had an opportunity to accept to accept him. So put your theological caps back on again. Does it sound like the true heart and nature of God to create billions and billions of persons throughout the ages? Since God knows everything, that God knows will never have an opportunity to accept Jesus. And therefore, to get the Holy Spirit, that's the proof of salvation. Since they never get to hear the name of Jesus, they never get the Holy Spirit, therefore they can never be saved. Does that sound like God? That God creates billions and billions and billions of people designed from conception to be damned to hell for all eternity? It just, it doesn't add up, does it? So that's what I'm saying. You've know, you got to look at the whole picture here, what, what we're really talking about. Because if you go this way, as soon as there's an exception to the rule, then that's the wrong way to go. You have to pick a way that, that is congruent with all of Scripture. So, as we've talked, everybody has the Holy Spirit. Therefore, according to, to Romans 2, you don't even need to hear the name of Jesus. It would not hurt, but you don't need to hear the name of Jesus to be saved. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit in you, revealing the truth of God, and live that way. And the truth of God will lead you to Jesus. Now, I forget where I read that, but um, some missionary, you know, was found some bush tribe in Africa or something, and a guy comes up to him and starts talking to him about about Jesus. And outside civilization has never been in contact with that with that bush tribe. So yeah, but that that's what happens. So if if it accepting the Holy Spirit means that I have to accept Jesus first, then that, that's all about me. When in fact, the, the conversion is the Holy Spirit. So, it puts way too much power and authority in us and takes it away from God. You have the Holy Spirit... You listen to the Holy Spirit. If there's another person that can help you to understand this truth, and that's what Jesus is trying to do with these people. He's trying to connect with using words. He says, I'm speaking the truth. How many times does he say that in, in chapter 6 and 7? Yelling at the crowd, I'm speaking the truth to you. Why can't you hear it? Well, again, in the end, he's going to identify it. Because you're children of the devil. Your ears are clogged to such a degree you cannot hear the truth even when it's standing in front of you. So, and again, further evidence of the fact that this is Jesus himself. 
You think Jesus himself would have a 100% success rate with everybody he ever talked to. But he doesn't. <clears throat> the most outrageous verse in the entire Bible. There's some outrageous verses, but for me, the one that just knocks me off my chair every time is at Matthew's account of the Ascension. Last words in well, part of the Great Commission. You know, Jesus gathers them together and he's ready to go up to heaven and says, go into all the world and you know, teach and baptize in my name and all that stuff. And <clears throat> make disciples. And the, these are, it says 120 are there. These are, after all the hundreds of thousands of people Jesus contacted, there's only 120 left that actually believe enough to be present. <laughs> right? That's like 0.01%. I mean, that's pretty lousy. Right? This is what Jesus. So, that crowd gathers, and these are people who've been with Jesus for essentially all three years. So all the miracles, heard all the teachings, were there at the crucifixion from afar, but saw him die, saw him placed in the tomb, were there on Easter Sunday to see him risen from the dead, to see Thomas put his finger in, in the nail hole and come to believe, and then Jesus was with them for the next six weeks. Continued to pop in with them. More miracles. More teachings. After all of that. It says in Matthew's gospel. But some still doubted. <laughs> Unbelievable. This is after the resurrection. Some still doubt it. It's too good to be true. I, yeah, what is there up here that you know, makes us think that you know, I need more proof. <laughs> I, need, I need further evidence. So what Jesus is saying is the evidence is in you. The truth is in you. I'm simply trying to connect with the truth. And that's really all any of us can try to do with, with, with any unbeliever. Is, is find that link of truth in that person. That's why it takes time. That's why it takes a lot of questions. That's why it, it's going to take an effort on our part to, to get inside the, uh, the head and the, uh, the heart of this other person so that we can, we can, we, we can have then the Spirit revealed to us. Go this way. Say these words. It's all about the Spirit. Jeff, how do you think all of these people that never heard of Jesus do get into heaven then? Well, according to Romans 2, it's, it, it's because they follow their conscience, Paul says. Now, that's the, the, uh, the worldly way of calling the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we'll use the term Holy Spirit, but really, you know, when we talk to others, they'll say, you know, I follow my conscience or whatever. It's the same thing. It's that, that inner voice. So what, what Paul says is that if they listen to the, the, their conscience and follow the basic moral code of God, they are saved. So, because again, it, it is in the name of Jesus, but if they don't know the name of Jesus... You can still be saved by believing who Jesus is, what he does. And Jesus is God. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Because again, if you have to, if you have to hear the name of Jesus, if you, if you have to, that means I have to go, and if I don't go, you're going to hell. That just doesn't sound like God. That just because I, I messed up and didn't go, this person, this whole tribe, this whole nation goes to hell. So it goes back to the universality of the Holy Spirit and the denial. That's, that, that's the foundation, that's the basis. What about if we go clear back to Adam and then <coughs> skip forward to Noah? Adam and Noah both knew God on an intimate basis. So everyone that comes from Adam and Noah knows God, 
knows about God. That's what, what Paul says. Therefore, there is no excuse. And so from Ham, Shem, and Japheth then, all the rest came, basically. And, and the, the people, when, when, when the people went into the promised land, those people that were slain in the promised land knew God but denied him. They, they, had, they, they had that knowledge but denied him, whether it was down through the centuries or whatever. The knowledge of God was always, has always been there. Right. And, and so we can say then that, that would be the, the spirit. God's spirit has always been in everybody through that. Can that's you say that? The universal nature, yes. And again, Romans 1 and 2, that's exactly the point. Is that, you know, and Paul says, everybody knows this. They know that what they're doing is a sin, and they know, even know the consequence of that sin, that they're going to hell, but they continue to choose to do it. That's denying the Holy Spirit. That's rejecting God. That's you know, disobeying. That's the nature of sin. And it goes back, we're going to talk about that this week. You know, Adam and Eve. That's, that's the core. God said, don't do it. They said, I want to do it. I'm going to do it. And they did it. <laughs> right? So... I mean, that's pretty basic, but that's, 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 that's what we're talking about. Good, Linda. So your judge don't let me know. Oh, absolutely. You never knew. But once you know. Right. So, yes. So, in that sense, ignorance is bliss. But once you know, then, yes, you're held to a much higher standard. And that's why Scripture says that as, as a pastor, as a leader, I am held at an even higher standard than anyone else. Because I'm supposed to know more, you see. So yes, it is. It is based on the level of knowledge. So, I'm sorry, you guys are shooting yourself in the foot here, being a Bible study. <laughs> 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 now, now, now you know more, and there's a lot more pressure on you. <laughs> so as going back to the story of the Tower of Babel, whenever whenever the population of the world was scattered, and we we became who we are, whether we're black, brown, red, yellow, or what. Still, from that point, the Spirit of God went with everyone. The Spirit is universal. There's never been a time when that is not the case. And so, that's why the, the rule is a standard rule, with no exception. That's what we are all held accountable to. I mean, we can only look at what it says. There's only one unforgivable sin. It's not murder, it's not treason, it's not anything bad, it's not, you know, molesting children. It is denying the Holy Spirit. Now, you deny the Holy Spirit, you're likely going to do all those things, <laughs> but it's based on denying the Holy Spirit. That's the universal. And everyone on earth is held accountable for it. And again, supporting that everybody has the Holy Spirit how could, how could God have a rule, a universal rule such as denying the Holy Spirit and hold you accountable for that if you don't have the Holy Spirit? How can you deny what you don't have? So when it talks about, you know, when it seems like the Holy Spirit is being reserved, you can give things in different ways. What it's talking about is, is the, the greater power given. At Pentecost, the yeah, it's the Spirit is already present, but the Spirit is going to take on a, a new form, much as Jesus now changes the old covenant into the new covenant. It's already there. We're just going to change it. We're going to make it more significant. We're going to we're going to change change the the uh, the emphasis, the focus. So again, yeah, we're going to come across this a couple times at the at, at, at the Last Supper. That uh, Jesus is going to seem to talk like the Holy Spirit is a future event. And but again, that can't be because the Spirit is already here. So it wasn't God the Father who got bored after a couple thousand years and created Jesus and said, "Okay, boy, go 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 do some good work and." I'll give you three years and get that done. And then all of a sudden, well, that was pretty fun. Let's, let's make another guy. Let's make the Holy Spirit, right? So all three have always been. So the Holy Spirit is there, Genesis 1-1. We started the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was God, and the Word was with God, right? The Word is Jesus. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been. And each one is all doing the same thing, and they're all working for our good. But then that's why Jesus is using the term Father here rather than Holy Spirit. Because even though the Holy Spirit has always been, these people have a very poor concept of Holy Spirit. Like no understanding of it. So he'd be talking a foreign language to them. So he says, well, they understood the Father, so the Father's going to do this. Because Father and Holy Spirit are the same, right? So it's just it's a slight semantic difference there. With a, with a conscience. Conscience, Holy Spirit, yes. I was thinking it's yeah. the same. Same thing, yeah. So you... <clears throat> I mean, can't, can't you see that in children? What'd you say? You, you can see that in children, right? Yeah. I mean, it's... <clears throat> that's what I'm saying. So we, we don't need somebody to teach us, don't murder. Mm -hmm. we, it's ingrained in us. We, we know that. Mm -hmm. We know that's wrong. But the world doesn't call it your conscience, the Holy Spirit. Precisely. And that's, that's why I love what Paul does in, in Romans 2. He uses the term conscience, describing the people who don't understand the Holy Spirit. But it's the same thing. So, yeah, I would prefer to use the term Holy Spirit with church folk, but, you know, either or. If you talk to me that way, I'll, I'll understand what you're saying. <coughs> yeah, you've heard people say, well, they, look what they did. They have no conscience. You know, I've <laughs> No, they're just denying their conscience. So, bottom line is God gives us the resource, all the resources we need. The question is, will we use them? Will, will we accept it, or will we deny it? And so the chapter 6 crowd denied it. The chapter 7 crowd is going to deny it as well. All that's going to say, some, some do believe. And some are going to call Jesus the Christ. So all kinds of strange, unusual things happen. And again, you know, when you put, put the same message out, isn't it amazing? The, the spectrum of responses you get. <laughs> and that's why every sermon I give is, <laughs> once those words leave my mouth, oh boy. <laughs> you know, uh, people hear them as a whole new ballgame. So it's just always fun and exciting. All right, we've got we to gotta quit here. I've got to get myself to the doctor. But we've got a little ways down the road. So keep on reading. Chapter 8 will blow your mind. Have fun with that. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.